Today's scripture comes from Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 to 31. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horses. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness. And it lit up the night without one coming near the other at all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee before, uh, from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer once more. Father, we thank you so much that you love your people. And through this passage, would you now speak to us, O oh God, for our hearts are filled with anxiety and confusion and fear. But through this passage, Lord, would you calm our fears, calm our hearts, knowing that 
you are the one who is leading us. God, we commit this time to you. Thank you. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This afternoon as we delve into this passage together, I would like for us to consider three things. Number one, acknowledging the fickleness of the human heart. Number two, trusting God's covenant faithfulness. And number three, being still in the presence of God. Let's jump into the first point together, acknowledging the fickleness of the human heart. Verse 10, tell, verse 10 tells us that when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. Here we see the Israelites finding themselves in what appears to be an utterly hopeless situation. And as you can imagine, they are anxious, they are overwhelmed, they are nervous, they are afraid. They're stuck in the middle and they have nowhere to go. They're on the verge of being completely annihilated. They're being pursued by Pharaoh who is furious. He's burning with anger and he has unleashed his entire army against the Israelites to to seek them, to chase after them and to destroy them. Now, I want to draw your attention to how the Israelites responded to this difficult situation. Verse 10, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. I mean, isn't that a good thing? Yes, it is. But we need to notice uh, the contents of their outcry from verses 11 and 12. Let's read it together. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we have said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would, be, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. As you can see, they're crying out to God for the wrong reasons, right? I mean, these aren't words of faith, trust, and hope. They're grumbling. They are complaining. They're questioning God's goodness. They're doubting God's faithfulness because of what is in front of them, the Red Sea, and what is behind them, the ensuing Egyptian army. But this is the thing. Prior to leaving Egypt, these are the words of promise, hope, and deliverance that God has spoken to the Israelites through Moses to assure them that I will be with you and I will lead you and I will make sure that you get to the promised land. I mean, this is from Exodus chapter 6, verses 2 to 9. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give to you for a possession. I am the Lord. These are the words of promise, hope, and deliverance that God has spoken to the Israelites before beginning this journey to the promised land. But verse 9 tells us that they did not listen to Moses. 
they couldn't believe these words of promise, hope, and deliverance because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. And because of what they have been going through under the hands of the Egyptians, I mean, at that time, it was actually very difficult and almost impossible for them to believe such words, uh, promise, hope, and deliverance. But since leaving Egypt, God also reassured the people of Israel that he will continue to lead them and that he will continue to be with them through pillars of cloud and fire. And these pillars of cloud and fire were visible manifestations of God's presence. God wanted them to see visibly that he was among them, that he was with them, that he will continue to lead them. Exodus 13, 21 to 22. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the from before the people. God was among them. God was with them. And God wanted them to see that I will lead you and I will continue to lead you to the land that I have promised to your forefathers. Did you also know that right before they left Egypt, they had also personally witnessed the ten plagues? I mean, they were able to witness God's power and glory as God unleashed the ten plagues against the Egyptians, right? I mean, they were eyewitnesses to these mighty acts of God. They were there. See, as you can see, the Israelites, the people of Israel, they were eyewitnesses to God's power and glory. But this is the thing. As soon as things get difficult, they quickly forget the words of promise, hope, and deliverance that God has spoken to them through Moses, before they began this journey. And instead of holding on to God and trusting God and holding on to these words of promise, hope, and deliverance, they quickly grumble and complain. They doubt and question God's faithfulness, God's love. They quickly become short-sighted. All they can see is the Red Sea and the ensuing Egyptian army. They simply cannot see the bigger picture. These words of covenant promise, right? They kind of go into this tunnel vision. This is all they can see. They get too fixated on their current situation. What is in front of them? The Red Sea. And what is behind them? The ensuing Egyptian army. And here we see the fickleness of the human heart. As soon as things get difficult, as soon as they feel as if there's no way out, because they get so caught up with the problem at hand, they quickly forget the promises that God had given to them. They quickly fail to see the one who is with them, the pillars of, uh, pillars of cloud and pillars of fire. I mean, these were visible manifestations, right? But even with that, they fail to see the one who is with them and the one who is leading them, right? So they complain. They grumble. They question, they doubt. And we're going to see this happening over and over again as you read from um, Exodus onward that this is what they will do because that's how the fickle, the human heart is. Jump into our second point, trusting God's covenant faithfulness. Now notice how God responds to their outcry despite their lack of faith and trust. Turn Turn with me to verse 15 and onward. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? 
tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Despite their covenant unfaithfulness, even though they are the ones grumbling and complaining, doubting God and questioning his goodness and faithfulness, God still remains faithful to them by miraculously making a way for them to to cross over to the other side. God parts the Red Sea for them, to deliver them, to save them. Here, there is something really important for us to consider. The question is this. Was God surprised and caught off guard by the fickleness of their hearts? Was God caught off guard? Was God shocked, surprised that they're so fickle? Absolutely not. In fact, God already knew that this would happen. I mean, there's a reason why God actually led them directly to the Red Sea. You know, Exodus chapter 3, verses 17 through 18, and this is what he writes. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. You see, this was a roundabout way to go to the promised land. But God intentionally leads them directly to the Red Sea. And then the question that we need to ask ourselves is why? Why would God lead them directly to the Red Sea? And there's a specific reason why. See, at the beginning of this difficult, long journey through the wilderness and into the promised land, you know, God wanted to do something for them. In fact, God wanted to reveal something to them. What is that? His power and glory. To let them know, I am the God Almighty, the one who has created all things, and I will be with you, I will be for you, and I will continue to lead you. By parting the Red Sea, God wanted them to see his glory and power. But God also wanted to remind them of something else, his covenant faithfulness, that this is the land that I have promised to give to your forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will make sure that you get there. It will become your possession. And God wanted them to be reminded of this covenant faithfulness. Why? Why is God doing this? Because God already knew that throughout this long and difficult journey through the wilderness to the promised land, that the Israelites will be tested far beyond their abilities. Because God knew that the Israelites will be stretched far beyond their comfort zones, that the Israelites will come face to face with their own limitations, and that the Israelites will be overcome with anxiety, fear, and hopelessness as soon as things get difficult. And God knew that the Israelites will eventually forget and lose sight of the one who is with them, for them, and leading them. And this is why God purposely and intentionally brings them to the Red Sea. And it makes a way for them to cross over, to reveal his power and glory, to remind them of his covenant faithfulness. He's saying, I will be with you. This is who I am. You know, when God parts the Red Sea, the dry ground appears, dry land. And there's a specific Hebrew word for it. It's Yabasha. In verse 16 of chapter 14, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. The word there is 
Yabasha. This word also appears elsewhere only two times. The other one being Genesis 1.9. This is a creation account, right? And Genesis 1.9. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land, Yabasha, appear. It also occurs in Joshua 4.22. Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground, Yabasha. What is my point in drawing your attention to this obscure Hebrew word, Yabasha. Here, God is letting the Israelites know, I am the God who created all things, the one who created the heavens and the earth. This world is mine and it belongs to me, and I can part the Red Sea because I made it. But I will also be your redeemer. I will also be your deliverer. This is who I am. Wanted them to come face to face with his power and glory. You know, this is the the land that God had promised to give to Abraham. We see God entering into a covenant relationship with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, right? Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and in your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. That was the covenant promise, right? But as they're entering into a covenant relationship, God does something remarkable. And what is that? To help you better understand the the context of this covenant um, in the ancient Near East context, let me read you a quote from R.C. Sproul. This is what he writes. When covenants were made in the ancient Near East, Certain rights would be accompanied the agreement in order to signify what would happen if one or both parties failed to live up to their end of the pact. One common ritual involved dismembering animals and then laying the pieces in two rows side by side with a path in between. The individuals making the covenant would then pass between the animals and invoke a curse upon themselves if they broke the agreement. In performing this rite, both parties were in effect saying, if I do not fulfill the terms of this covenant, may the destruction that befell these animals also be upon my head. But notice that it is God alone in Genesis 15 who passes between the animals. Abraham is not invited to participate. What is going on here? Shouldn't Abraham also have passed through the animals in entering into this covenant relationship? as a sign that, God, I will remain faithful to this covenant. But he doesn't do that, right? Genesis 15, 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying to your offspring, I will give this land. As you can see, Abraham does nothing. Only God does something. But he, at the same time, invites Abraham into this covenant relationship with him. What is going on here? What is the point of all this? Here, God is saying this. I am your God, and you will be my people. And I will continue to lead you, and I will continue to be with you, protect you, and provide for all of your needs. And I will continue to remain faithful to you, even though you may continue to break my heart and remain disobedient and unfaithful to me. But even then, I will not forsake you. I will not abandon you. I will continue to be your God. And that's what God is telling Abraham. And this is why 
God remains faithful, covenantally, to these grumbling and complaining Israelites. Because God said, I will remain faithful until the end. Even though you may break these covenant regulations, this is on me. This covenant relationship between you and me, this is on me, and I will not break it. That's what God is saying. And as we read from Genesis onward, I mean, we will see that the Israelites consistently remain unfaithful to God, right? They will consistently grumble, consistently complain, question and doubt God. But yet, we see a God who remains consistently faithful to these people who are so undeserving of his presence and love and faithfulness, right? With that in mind, let's jump into our last point, being still in the presence of God. Verse 31, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. Do you know what the Israelites did after crossing the Red Sea? This is mentioned in Exodus chapter 15. They worshiped God and rightfully so. They sang a song of deliverance. If you have time today after church, please read through Exodus 15. And here we see them um, worshiping God with this song of deliverance. And I'm willing to bet that after crossing the Red Sea and as they're continuing their journey through the wilderness to the promised land, I'm willing to bet that they sang this song over and over again. Because it was just so amazing. I mean, you don't see the Red Sea parting. This is not something you see on a day-to-day basis. God had, God had done something so miraculous for them, and this is how they responded in worship. A song of deliverance. But did you know, as the journey continues, and when the next problem comes, they soon forget And immediately after crossing the Red Sea and and singing this song of deliverance over and over again, when the next problem comes, we read through through Exodus, they complain. They grumble as if they didn't see the Red Sea party. I mean, how can they possibly forget, right? Parting the Red Sea and, and, and crossing over the Red Sea on dry ground, I mean, this is what God had done for them. And how could they possibly forget this epic life changing event, right? But this is the fickleness of the human heart. We quickly forget when things get difficult. And obviously, this didn't last long. Sadly, even after personally witnessing God's mighty act of deliverance, parting of the Red Sea, crossing over to the other side on dry ground, the waters being a wall to their left and the right. I mean, try to put yourself in their situation, walking through the Red Sea with waters being a wall to your left and right. How can they forget, right, God's power and glory and goodness and faithfulness? But when things get difficult, the Israelites eventually go back to their old ways, complaining, grumbling, doubting, questioning. Instead of fearing the Lord with reverence and awe and believing in the Lord, that's where they eventually end up. Because that's the fickleness of the human heart. And this is what we will see happening over and over again throughout this journey, through the wilderness, to the promised land. You know, the fickleness of the human heart, the symptoms can manifest themselves in two ways. One is uh, spiritual amnesia. We forget. We just forget who God is when things get difficult. Another one is spiritual myopia. We become so nearsighted. All we can see is the problem, our situation and circumstance. And we forget to 
we'll fix our eyes upon the one who is with us and one who is leading us. But that's what happens. And that's what we will see happening, us, I do believe, that also in our own lives when things get difficult, right? Now, after going into a panic mode, as we have seen, the Israelites started complaining, grumbling, doubting, and questioning God's faithfulness, right? But notice what Moses told them in verses 13 and 14 of today's passage. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The key is here, verse 14. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. In NIV, it actually says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. This is what Moses told them. Stop talking. Stop complaining. Stop grumbling. Stop doubting. Stop questioning God's goodness and faithfulness. Be still. Just be still in his presence and see what he will do for you. Haven't you forgotten the ten plagues? Haven't you forgotten the pillars of cloud and fire? Just be still in his presence and see what he will do for you. He is the Lord God Almighty. So you know what our problem is? We get too fixated on what is in front of us. And when that happens, we try to take matters into our own hands to to fix it, to come out of it, to look for answers. And when that happens, instead of trusting God wholeheartedly and believing that he is sovereign and still in control, we end up complaining, grumbling, doubting, questioning, just like the Israelites did. We're no better. It's easy for us to sit here and point fingers at them. How can you possibly do that after witnessing the parting of the Red Sea and crossing over to the other side on dry ground? But we're not better. We're just like them. Our hearts are also as fickle. And the question is this. How do we fight this tendency that is so deeply embedded in our broken hearts? To answer that, I want to draw your attention to this one specific word, that is wonder. Now, let me give you a definition, a dictionary definition of this word wonder. A cause of astonishment or admiration, the quality of exciting, amazed admiration, to be filled with admiration, amazement, or awe. Or you could put it this way, an overwhelming feeling of reverence and admiration produced by that which is grand, magnificent, marvelous, or extremely powerful. As the Israelites witnessed the parting of the Red Sea and as they were walking on dry ground to the other side, I'm willing to debate, there was, I'm willing to bet that they were struck with wonder. The wonder of God's glory and power. They were in awe of who God is and what he will do for them as they continue this journey. But when the next problem came, they forgot. The question I have for you guys, some penetrating questions I think that we all need to ask ask ourselves is this. Are you still in awe of who God is in your life? Are you still amazed by God's amazing and saving grace in your life? Are you still astonished by the ways in which that God has been so good and faithful to you Despite your weaknesses and shortcomings and failures, are you still captivated by the beauty of the gospel? 
If not, has the gospel become jaded in your heart? Have you lost the wonder of the cross and the gospel because of what is in front of you, because of what you're up against, because what you have been struggling with in your life? What do you see? There's a song that I uh, used to sing often. Um, it's by Tim Hughes, and the song is called The Wonder of the Cross, and I want to read you the lyrics. May I never lose the wonder, the wonder of the cross. May I see it like the first time, standing as a sinner lost, undone by mercy and left speechless, watching wide-eyed at the cost. May I never lose the wonder, the wonder of the cross. You know, in this journey of faith, we will continue to experience struggles, hardships. And God will sometimes allow us to go, even go through a season of pain and suffering to accomplish something great in our lives. But when that happens, you know, how will you respond? Will you respond like that of the Israelites? Or will you still cling to the one who is for you and with you? Or will you lose sight of the one who is leading you? Because you become so short, uh, short-sighted. Because you respond out of fear. And this is why I do believe that, that we need to be intentionally spend time with God on a day-to-day basis. Be still in his presence. We need to fight for this. You know, as I mentioned during the announcements, Pastor John and Sarah Simon, they just welcomed their fourth child. I, mean, I can't believe it because I'm struggling with one. <laughs> and... They're, 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 they're such champs, and they make it seem so easy. And I just love the name of their fourth child, Selah Praise. Selah Praise. And when I heard that name, I'm just like, and I was just like blown away because I think that the, the meaning of Selah Praise is just so fitting for what we are going through as a ministry right now and as we have been going through a difficult transitional period, right? Selah, it means to pause, to take a moment to pause, to take a break, to be still. And I do believe that considering what's been happening in our ministry, and I'm not sure where you are in terms of, you know, you processing what's been going on, but I'm willing to bet that you guys have all experienced emotions dealing with confusion, anxiety, and fear as we continue to move forward together, even doubting and questioning God's goodness and faithfulness in the midst of all this, right? And it's easy for us to be distracted because of what is in front of us. And when the more and more we do that, we will lose sight of the one who has been so faithful to this ministry. And we will lose sight of the one who will continue to lead us, right? And this is why we need to pause, be still, and not be like the Israelites, going to a panic mode, continue to grumble, complain, doubt, question. It's time for us to come together and be still in the presence of God. And we really need this rhythm. And not just because of what is happening in our ministry, but maybe also because of what is happening in your own lives. And let's be honest. The fast pace of life here in New York, it doesn't help, does it? We're scrambling for time. We don't have enough time to get everything done. And we simply can't afford to be still, right? And I think 
this is the reason why we need to even more be intentional about being still in the presence of God. No matter what is happening in your life, no matter what you feel like you're up against, we need to be intentional about this, to pause and be still in the presence of God, to reflect and to celebrate and as we remember who God is and what he has been doing in this ministry and also in our own lives. And after that, praise him. Praise him. Do this over and over again throughout the day. Say, let praise, pause, be still, reflect, remember, celebrate, praise God. Right? The more and more we do this, the more and more we build this into the rhythm of our lives, there will be no room for us to complain. There will be no room for us to grumble, to question and doubt God's faithfulness and goodness. Paul Tripp in his book, All, this is what he writes, if praise is celebrating God's awesome glory, then complaint is anti-praise. Have you been grumbling? Have you been complaining? Have you been doubting, questioning God's goodness, God's love for you, God's faithfulness over this ministry because what's been, what we've been going through these past few weeks? Or, or maybe because what you may have been going through in your own lives. Does your life, does your heart reflect that of the Israelites standing before the Red Sea? If your answer to that is yes, it's still okay. I've been there. I'm sure you've been there. But we have a Savior who says, I know that you will continue to, to be unfaithful. And I see the fickleness of your heart. But even then, I will still love you. I will still remain faithful to you. And I will be your God and you will be my people. I will continue to protect you. I will continue to provide for you. And I will never forsake you nor abandon you. I mean, this is a God that we have. You know, don't let what is happening, no matter how difficult that may be, force you to lose sight of the one who is with you and, and for you and leading you. Because that's what happened to the Israelites. They forgot. They became nearsighted. God will be with us every step of the way. And if you have a hard time being still in the presence of God, then I think here Matt Chandler offers a helpful advice. This is what he writes. Fill your life with things that stir your affections for Jesus and cut out what robs you of those affections. You've got to keep feeding your hearts that stir your affections for Jesus so that you will continue to spend time with God throughout the day so that you will look forward to the next moment where you come before God simply to be still, pause, so that you can reflect, remember, and celebrate God's goodness and faithfulness. And let's not lose sight of the one who is leading us. And let, that, let not the enemy distract us from just seeing the problem, the circumstance, the situation. Because God is so much greater than that. And he will continue to lead us every step of the way. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we commit ourselves to you, Lord. Father, our hearts are so prone to wander. 
and we continue to break your hearts just again and again and again. But we thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Father, no matter what is happening in our ministry and in our own lives, Lord, may it not cause us to forget who you are and to doubt and to question your goodness and faithfulness. May we now respond to these circumstances with complaints, with grumblings, Lord. But grant us um, a childlike faith so that no matter what is happening, that we will continue to cling to you, fix our eyes upon you, that we will never ever lose sight of the one who is leading us through it all. Father, we praise you for the work that you are doing in our lives. Thank you that this work that, that you have begun, you will finish at the day of Jesus Christ. God, we love you. Cannot thank you enough. In Christ's name we pray.